Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip said. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. As we continue this series this morning that we have entitled The Adventure, I want us to begin this morning with reflection. As Jonathan noted in reading the scripture, what we find in this passage and what we'll explore is how Jesus found someone and that someone found somebody else. And I truly believe you are here this morning because somebody found you and helped you find Jesus. And so even as we're beginning this morning, I want you to think for a moment and just prayerfully respond, who was that someone who helped you to find Jesus? And if you, the name comes to mind, if it's a mom or dad, maybe it was a teacher, Sunday school teacher, youth worker, co-worker, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your church growing up, who was it that helped you find Jesus? My Classmate. Classmate. My brother, Bob. brother Bob. Mother. Friend Susan. Friend Susan. A bicycling buddy. A bicycling buddy. Gary, Beth helped me too, Frank. I truly believe that as a result of people helping us find Jesus, we can be people that help others find Jesus. And the focus of this message this morning is that every, every follower of Jesus can find others to bring him to him because he found us and invited us to follow him. As the adventure continues, what we see is that spurred by a few disciples who heard John say that Jesus was the Lamb of God and through Jesus' own invitation to come and see who he was, the mission of the Messiah Jesus began to multiply and sort of start to snowball, so to speak. People learned about Jesus, came to see him for who he was, and then found the ability to communicate that reality to other people. And there's truth here. Last week, we saw that John the Baptist had a couple of disciples, Andrew and John, we think, 
And yet instead of hoarding or holding on to those disciples, he said instead, pointing to Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We also found in that passage that Jesus was before John, that he literally pre-existed. And it points to what we heard in the beginning of John's gospel, that Jesus in the beginning was the Word who was with God and was God. He was with God in the beginning. And John the Baptist points to that reality. At the end of the passage we looked at last week, we heard the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the exact representation of God's being in the flesh. He shares the nature of God. And as a second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he came to this earth, he took on flesh, and he revealed God to us. And so in the response to this invitation to come and see where he was staying, disciples, followers of Jesus started to spread the word. Andrew told his brother Simon, who would become known as Peter, which means the rock, that we found the Messiah that they had been looking for. And today we find others hearing about Jesus, coming to see Jesus, and then going to share Jesus. In each case, they become disciples, which as we talked about last week, literally just means learners, those who had attached themselves to a given teacher. This was a relationship of personal commitment and submission, like father and son, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be, father and son relationship, right? Teachers and disciples in this regard expected utter loyalty from each other. And so for John to let some of his disciples go and point them to Jesus instead of him was really remarkable. But what Jesus shows us, what we looked at last week, what we see in an unfolding way this week is this. Our goal, our purpose and meaning as a church is to be a place where disciples not only become disciples, but share with others about what it means to be a learner or follower of Jesus. And we need to check ourselves in a continued basis as a church with this question. Are our efforts fulfilling the great commission of Christ? Are we going and making disciples of Jesus? Do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated disciples reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? If not, we need to continually check ourselves and our priorities and our focus and where and how we're spending our time. Because as Robert Coleman said in the Master Plan of Evangelism, one cannot transform the world except as individuals in the world are transformed. And individuals are not transformed except as they are molded in the hands of the master. In other words, only Jesus can transform people's hearts and lives for him. We can't do it. All we can do is point other people to him. So what do we see in Jesus? We see Jesus increasingly devoting himself in, himself in the life of a few, molding and shaping disciples who would then be able to go on and carry on his ministry and his mission after him. It wasn't that Jesus disregarded the crowds and the world, but he knew to reach the world, he had to invest himself in a few souls who would then invest themselves in others, and that a movement of multiplication would then spring that would ultimately fulfill his mission. What can we say about these first few that were invited to follow him? We can say that they were average, ordinary people, but they were teachable and that their hearts were really big. 
They were open and receptive to hearing who Jesus was and responding to that message and to getting to spend time with him. And so Jesus has a a master plan, we might say, and immediately we see this well-thought-out strategy that fulfilled his long-range goal of ultimately transforming the world. Jesus invested in the lives of a few disciples who would then go on to invest in others, and as a result, ultimately, the world was changed. If we go to the New Testament, and particularly the Gospel of John, and I want to encourage you even now to consider reading at least the first four chapters of John this coming week, if you haven't already, what we see is the plan of Jesus to invest in people who will then go on and invest in the rest. Jesus' ministry in this way was the unfolding of the plan of God from the beginning, You see, God's plan to design has always been to create a people for himself, call them into community and communion with him, and then have those people go and reach others. And here we see that it all started with Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction his evangelistic strategy would take. Yeah, he would preach to crowds. But ultimately, he spent his life invested in a few people who will then go on and reach others. In other words, his focus wasn't on developing really cool programs that would reach the multitude, but investing in men and women who the multitudes would follow. His initial objective then was to enlist a few people who could bear witness to his life and ministry and carry that work on after he returned to the Father. John and Andrew were called from the revival movement of John the Baptist, and soon they started inviting their brother. The next day, Jesus finds Philip, as we'll investigate this morning, on his way to Galilee, and Philip found Nathanael. There's no evidence that Jesus is like harried in this, or, or that he's, he has haste in selecting disciples, like there aren't very many people out there to pick from, so I've got to grab on to who's available. No, it reflects a lot of intentionality. Jesus selects people and he invests in them. He concentrates time and energy in them. He reproduces his life in a few people who will carry on his ministry after he was gone. What we see is a tremendous strategy to ultimately transform the world. And we can see it in three parts in this passage. The first is we can see Jesus' action as he leaves for the mission field of Galilee. He finds people and he invites them to follow him. Following Jesus' actions, we are to go out into our neighborhood, our mission field, and find people. One of my favorite parts of this passage is the word find or found here in the Greek is eurisko. It's literally the background for our word, eureka, I found it. For those of us who live here in the gold rush area of the Sierra Nevada foothills, this should ring for us. I was having a, getting together with a group of guys, having a beer with a group of guys last Tuesday night, and one of, us, one of the guys was talking about how he loves to go gold panning in our area, and he loves to prospect, and he was talking about a day where he was out and the out, you know, trying to prospect, and really nothing was happening. It was kind of the end of the day, and then he actually found, a, you know, a, a little nugget of gold, and it was the sense of, ah, oh, I found it. I've been searching for this, and here it is. 
Well, Jesus finds Philip. Eureka, I found him. And this humble servant, Philip, who didn't seek Jesus out, Jesus sought him out, ultimately becomes another one of Jesus' chosen followers. And again, it may be that Jesus had already set out on the road to go back to Galilee, had left where John was out, you know, baptizing people in the area of Perea, and was going back to Galilee, and he sees a fellow traveler in Philip, and he invites him to come and follow me. I love the way he does this. This is much more of a, instead of like, follow me, we're going this direction, and he's charging ahead, I think he's basically saying, Frank, come follow me. Let's do this together. Nate, you and me, let's do this, buddy. Let's try to share the good news of Jesus in this neighborhood. Let's go out and and transform people for Jesus. Let's go love on people in Jesus' name so that other people can see him. Jesus' invitation, again, is a face of grace. It's not a charging ahead and and an expectation upon Philip's life that he wasn't going to be able to fulfill. This was coming alongside somebody and saying, hey, come with me. Let's go do this together. And in and through that invitation and feeling found, and I think we all want to be found, Philip's heart was, was transformed. What's the best part of the game hide and seek? being found. Maybe it's having a great hiding place and they take a while to find you and you are clever. Levi likes to be clever and finding small spaces to hide in, but his favorite part, being found. Similarly to the game of hide and seek, I believe our favorite part in this is disciples or followers of Jesus, feeling found, feeling loved by him and invited by him and cared for by him. We want to know that we matter to God, and Jesus' invitation to Philip lets us know that God wants to find us, and he wants to transform us. He wants to take us from being average, ordinary people to be people who are on mission for him. And I love the way it becomes pretty simplistic. Christ simply says, follow me. But through the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit, Philip's life is transformed and compelled to follow after Jesus. Robert Coleman would say, Jesus was not trying to impress the crowd, but to usher in a kingdom. This meant that he needed men who could lead the multitudes. So before the world could be permanently helped, men had to be raised up who could lead multitudes in the things of God. We are simply to find people. To be on like a game of hide and seek where we help people kind of be uncovered by the grace of God and and come to be known by God. To find people is sometimes challenging because in the midst of the sea of humanity, we're not necessarily sure who to reach or who to reach out to, who's going to be responsive. But my encouragement to you is just go and find people and invite them to follow Jesus and allow God to do the heavy lifting of transforming their hearts and their lives. I remember an experience where I was asked to uh, do, uh, lead a Bible study in a dormitory in Chico State. And I remember thinking as I uh, was asked to do this through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship that I'm not guessing there's going to be many people interested I know why the majority of people came to my college. 
And it was not to seek Jesus. But I also knew that there were people that God wanted as followers on that campus. And I remember going into Machupta Hall and walking and talking to people, uh, putting up some signs on the wall that just said, I mean, we're going to talk about Jesus tonight. If anybody wants to come, please do. And sometimes after Beverly Hills 90210, some people would actually stay and talk about Jesus. And I remember meeting a guy named Mike. And Mike had a background, a Catholic background, where he had some inklings about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And I remember the sense of just sharing Jesus with Mike and and Mike coming to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And most weeks now, Mike participates in our live stream from Las Vegas, where he lives now. And I saw Mike in June, and he's still walking with Jesus. Jesus wanted to find Mike. He just needed somebody to help him along the way. And that's the role we see then Philip play in response to Jesus. You see, Philip doesn't just hear the invitation of Jesus to follow him and say, great, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be saved, I'm good. No, Philip instinctively knows that he's meant to be part of that mission of God. And so following Philip's actions, I believe we can find Nathaniel's, and we can tell them that we have found the Messiah, the one the story of God points to, and we can invite them to come and see. What I love about the passages is Jesus says, uh, you know, it says, you know, Jesus found uh, Philip, and then it says that Philip found Nathaniel. Guess what the same word is? Eureka! Philip goes and finds Nathaniel as somebody who is valuable and to be treasured in light of the mission and kingdom of God. And there are Nathaniels out there in our world, people who God loves, he created, he loves and longs to be in a relationship with them. And they simply need to know that they are worth, of worth and of value in God's sight, that God sees them, as we'll talk about more, and that we can enable people to see him. Philip doesn't do anything different than what Jesus has already done with him. Just as Jesus finds him and invites him, Philip goes and finds Nathanael and simply says, we have found Jesus. Philip wants to help his brother, and he wants to make Christ known. But he only wants him to be known as he is shown by Moses and the prophets. And so what I love about Philip here is he simply says, that we found the one Moses spoke about in the law and about whom the prophets also spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, Philip just shares what he knows, but what he points Nathaniel to is, look for yourself. If you look back, he's essentially saying to Nathaniel, if you look back at Moses, if you look back at the law, if you look at what the prophets wrote about, you're going to see that Jesus is the missing piece of the puzzle, that all of it points to him. And so he's essentially inviting Nathaniel on an investigative journey. And just like Andrew, Philip finds this person in Nathaniel and by his witness brought him to Jesus. 
The earliest disciples uh, could, could only identify Jesus as the promised coming one or Messiah through the lens of the scriptures. In other words, they're helping people find Jesus, but they're basically saying the way you find him even then was through the scriptures. That if you look back at the Old Testament, you're going to see and find that Jesus is the one that we've been looking for. That Jesus is the one that we were meant to see. You know, Philip just does again what Jesus has done for him. And I think what I I want you to see is that is something you and I can do also. That what Jesus did for us in sending us those people who found us and helped us to find Jesus is something every one of us can do. And honestly, it takes a whole congregation If I were to say who found you and helped you find Jesus, I would say West Valley Presbyterian Church in Cupertino, California. That it took a whole village. It took a whole tribe to find me and help me find Jesus. There were individuals who invested uh, particular time and energy. I have those Andrews and Phillips and my spiritual lineage. But honestly, it took a whole village of people to show me the love of Jesus incarnate in flesh and to help me see him clearly. And you know, today, in our day and age, there's a whole host of things that can distract people from helping, from seeing Jesus. And it's interesting what happens in Philip's interaction with Nathaniel. Notice that as Philip makes the announcement, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel didn't say, yes, I want to go follow him. No, he said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel had his own questions and opposition. He didn't think Nazareth was a a place worthy of the Messiah's, uh, you know, having grown up in that environment. In the midst of Galilee, Nazareth had a very low um, sort of reputation, Part of it was that it had a a Roman garrison there. So it's like if you're from Nazareth, you've mixed with with Roman soldiers and Gentiles. It's not this pure set-apart place for God. But notice what Philip does. When Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? He doesn't just keep walking and say, well, that guy's not going to be interested. He's, he's, He's rejected Jesus. On to the next person. And he doesn't respond by arguing the point with Nathaniel. He doesn't say, you know, Nazareth really has some good qualities to it. You ought to really rethink that town and that it could be a good place for the Messiah to come from. Philip doesn't argue the point. He doesn't lecture him. And he doesn't just walk on and move on past Nathaniel. What does he do? He simply says, come and see. He simply extends a gracious invitation for Nathaniel to come and see for himself. Philip chooses the best alternative in the moment. He doesn't argue with Nathaniel. He just simply brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And fortunately for Nathaniel, he went to meet Jesus and became Jesus' disciple. What I want us to see here is if 
If Nathanael had stuck to his prejudice without investigating further, he would have missed the Messiah. And we must not let people's stereotypes about Jesus cause them to miss his power and love. We must invite them to come and see and meet Jesus for themselves. And there's so many barriers, so many misconceptions, so many stereotypes out there that become barriers for people to come and see Jesus. Those are the things that we have to break through. On Thursday, we had the second of our Fellowship of Christian Athletes meetings at the high school. And the great thing is the group is expanding. There were 30 kids who came. And this time, it wasn't just youth group kids from our own church and other local churches. There were atheists there, kids that I've run with on the cross-country team that have asked me questions about Jesus but have no spiritual background. And after sharing my testimony and my story as part of that gathering, one of them came up to him and said, so this is what it is? Like, that's what it means to follow Jesus? Yeah. He's like, huh. I didn't think that's what it was. I didn't think it was that simple. I didn't think it was about a relationship. I thought it was about all the rules and the laws and the things and the do-nots. Well, we need to remind people it's not about the do-nots. It's what to do. And that's simply to follow Jesus. And to learn about him and grow in your love for him. It's all that simple, church, and honestly, it's all that hard. But part of the hard or the difficult is our own barriers and our own inhibitions to getting out of our comfort zone and sharing with other people. But notice then what happens when Philip takes a risk and shares with Nathaniel. Jesus is the one who does the heavy lifting. And following Nathaniel's actions, we can see, uh, we can approach Jesus with confidence. We can come and see that he sees us, and we can declare that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. Let's unpack those a little bit. Notice that when Philip invites Nathaniel, Nathaniel accepts the invitation and comes to see Jesus. But even as he's approaching Jesus, who's approaching him? Jesus. Jesus is coming towards him, and he says, look, now here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel wonders right away, how do you know me? And the principle here I want you to see is this. We're not coming to see Jesus as much as he's already seen us, and he wants us to be in a relationship with him. And guess what? He sees and knows everything about us. And that might excite you, but more likely, that terrifies you. Because you're thinking to yourself, if Jesus knows everything about me, there is no way he's going to come and invite me to see him and want to encourage us to find him. But guess what? These disciples are the average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill people. They, their hearts were big, sure they were teachable, But often they missed the mark, often they misunderstood, often their passion and enthusiasm got directed in the wrong way or the wrong direction, but still Jesus wanted them, and still Jesus saw them, and still Jesus knows them. If you were to ask the same question of Jesus that Nathaniel asked him, how do you know me? The answer might be, I know you because I created you. I know you because before I formed you in your mother's womb, I had plans and designs for relationship with you. 
I know you in your sin, and I know you in your struggles. I know you in your grief and sorrow, and I ultimately took it upon the cross to redeem it and remake you. I know you because I've known you far better than you know yourself, and knowing all, I love you, and I want you to be in relationship with me. And part of what he knows about us is our seeking tendencies and our own desires to know him. When Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, what he's saying is, Nathaniel, I know that you're a seeker. Because being under the fig tree in the imagery of scripture and in Jewish uh, history was a place and space that was shaded and a really good place for prayer and a really good place for Bible study. So when he's saying, I saw you under the fig tree, what Jesus is saying is not only I see you in a way that nobody else can see you, in a way that only God can see you, he's also saying, I see that you're somebody who's seeking. You're spending time under the fig tree. You're spending time in prayer and study, and that means you want to see me, and now I'm revealing myself to you. One of my friends in the Sacramento area, he's Episcopalian priest, he actually uh, built a coffee shop as a means of outreach and connection, and he named it the fig tree for this reason, because he wanted his coffee shop to be a space and place where people would seek Jesus and study God's word and get into conversations about him. So my question for you, an application at this point, and then there's going to be one other, is are you spending time under the fig tree? Are you spending time in prayer and in study? Do you have a chair? Do you have a place outside? Do you have that space or place in your life where you go to be with God because you're seeking him and you want to know him? If not, find it. If yes, continue to spend more time and energy there. And remember, as you spend time under the fig tree, what God wants you to see is that he knows you and that he cares about you and he loves you. And like Nathaniel, he wants to draw you into a relationship with himself. You see, we can get to know God better. He is the Lamb of God, the Rabbi, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the King of Israel, all declared in, this, in these few passages of Scripture. But that is just the beginning. In fact, he says to Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than that. Nathaniel, if you believe in me as the Son of God and the King of Israel, just based on the fact that I, I'm telling you I saw you under the fig tree, guess what? You're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And when was heaven most open? I believe it was most open at the cross when he died in his death for us and ultimately expressed his desire to be in relationship with us. And heaven was most open when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and life began again. And if that is true, if that's where heaven was most open, we too can believe and follow Jesus because of the greater things we can see of God. The heaven is open because of his victory over the grave, and heaven is open because he ascended there, and heaven is open because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the question then as we wrap up and as we accept the invitation through celebrating communion is this, are you following Jesus as a disciple? Are you his student? Are you actively learning more about him? 
And if so, how is this affecting your actions? Are you reflecting more and more of the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? How should your following Jesus affect your actions? Are there areas of your life that you've said are off limits to him? Or have you invited him in to all those areas in order to transform him? And finally, who would God want you to find and invite to come and see for who he is? Who in your life is open perhaps but just needs somebody to help them connect the dots or just sort of fill in the gaps? Maybe there's people that are really far from God, but those are the people that Jesus wants. In the coming weeks, we're going to see somebody who is a seeker in Nicodemus, but needs somebody to connect the dots for him, to move out of his legalism and to lead into a new life of grace and a new birth and renewal and relationship with him. We're also going to see somebody who is far from God and the woman at the well, somebody who is cast off from society, but Jesus wants to see who he is. Through this passage, we really get a holistic view of what it means to be on the adventure of discipleship that begins with discovering Jesus. We saw the invitation to come and see, but we also see Jesus extending the invitation to come and follow me. We see him loving Nathaniel enough and that he knows him, but he also invites him. And we see repeated examples of people going out into our community and our neighborhood to share Jesus so that they could be brought in to see him. As his followers, we connect with him through communion. We enjoy that time of just being in his presence, knowing we are loved and cared for. But we also partake of this meal today to be have our hunger met, our thirst quenched, and to be sustained and ready and made ready once again to re-engage our community. Because there's people out there who are lost and they need somebody to say, come and see. They need somebody to follow as they find their way to following Jesus. And my guess is that God wants to use you and that God wants to use me and that together can fulfill God's purpose to advance his kingdom and see that kingdom come so that we might celebrate one day once and for all in the kingdom of God for this meal is a foretaste of that kingdom and there's people who have been invited to the banquet but yet haven't yet been brought in